I'm Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, I've got two movie reviews, M. Night Shyamalan's Glass and the Transformers spin-off Bumblebee. One of them was good, one of them not. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. I watched a couple of documentaries about the worst music festival ever. But first, let's go over the nominations for the Oscars. Here are the films selected as Best Picture nominees. Black Panther. Just bury me in the ocean with my ancestors that jumped from the ships. Because they knew death was better than bondage. Black Klansman. Why haven't you bought in this? Why should I? Because you're Jewish, brother. Doesn't that hatred you've been hearing the clan say, doesn't that f*** you all? Of course it does. And why are you acting like you ain't got skin in the game, brother? Bohemian Rhapsody. So now what? Uh, this is when the operatic section comes in. Oh, the operatic section, yeah. The favorite. I apologize for my appearance. I hoped I might be employed here by you as something. A monster for the children to play with, perhaps. Green Book. So can I put uh, P.S. Kiss the Kids? Yeah, like at the end. That's like clinging a cowbell at the end of Shostakovich is a seven. That's good. Perfect, Tony. Roma. Mire cómo ve esto. ¿Cómo es? Está bien. A Star is Born. Hey. What? I just want to take another look at you. Vice. So we gonna do this thing or what? I mean, is this happening? I believe we can make this work. <laughs> Hot damn. And this year's Best Picture nominees are brought to you by the letter B. Good I know. Good to have a movie that starts with the letter B. <laughs> Unless it's Beale Street, if Beale Street could talk. Yeah, that's right. It's the big snub in my books. There you go. I guessed seven of the eight. I put that montage together, and I started gathering clips a couple hours before they made the announcement early Tuesday morning, and I had seven clips ready. I also had a Beale Street clip, Beale Street clip ready, but I didn't have a Bohemian Rhapsody clip ready. Yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody was a bit of a surprise, and I yeah. think I proclaimed, like, this isn't going to win any awards. This yeah. isn't an awards movie, and yet here it is, the Best Picture winner in the Drama Cat musical. Was it drama? No, uh, yeah, no, yeah, drama, because yeah. Uh, Green Book won the musical or comedy. Yeah, and now it's nominated for Best Picture, so who knew? It could, it, again, I've said it before, the, the, the Live Aid recreation is something to see. Pro- that alone is worth awards. So I guess, so, hey, give it credit. But. <laughs> and it could win. I think the the favorite, the odds are, we saw uh, Roma had the best odds, followed by Green Book, and then I think Bohemian Rhapsody, maybe. But If Roma wins, what do you think that does for the movie industry, given that, like, this is a historic Best Picture set of nominees for two reasons. One is Black Panther, first superhero movie to be nominated, but Roma yeah. is a Netflix entry. Yeah, that's that's really something. That's It's weird, though, because it's not, quote-unquote, a regular movie. It's a foreign film in black and white, so it, it's... It's. I don't know that it spells the end of any other movie studio ever winning an award again, that Netflix is just going to take over everything. Because, I mean, like, The Artist won Best Picture a few years back, and that was a silent movie. Yeah. But that was a one-off, right? It didn't even... We didn't even get a bunch of copycat silent movies after that or anything. So, I don't... It will still be something, though. That's a pretty big headline if Netflix picks up the Best Picture. Yeah, and I know that uh, even I am starting to pay more attention now to... Netflix original films. They have one coming out. Actually, it's out this weekend. Uh, Polar, starring Mads Mikkelsen. Have you seen the trailer for this? Uh, uh, no. It's based so. on a graphic novel, and it's it's kind of like, it looks like a John Wick 
sort of world kind of crazy. It might it might, it might very well just be a copycat, right. but it is based on a graphic novel. Well, and later this year, uh, Martin Scorsese's got a Netflix movie coming out starring Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, and Al Pacino. So that's definitely going to be a thing. Holy smokes! Yeah, that, that's that, right. I forgot about that. Yeah, and that's almost guaranteed to be a Best Picture nominee at the next year's Oscars, right? Just from the people involved. But and just a quick thought: uh, Black Panther getting included in Best Picture. What yeah, do you think of that? like we said, it doesn't really seem like Best Picture stuff, but it is kind of neat that like wh- why not you can't ignore marvel they've got a f- sizable percentage of the entire movie share at this point so yeah. it makes only makes sense that they start getting included and black panther uh, on many levels was a sort of a step above a regular superhero movie let's uh, go through some of the other categories just rather quickly here uh, which one do you want to focus on well let's do director i like that spike lee's nominated his first directing nomination he was I can't believe that he was uh, nominated for writing do the right thing in the, what was that, like 1989 or something like yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. That's his first uh, shot here at director. So he would sort of be the sentimental favorite, I guess. But again, it's uh, this Roma guy, Alfonso Cuaron, that is almost a lock. He's winning all the other directing awards. And it's quite the directorial achievement. And then we've got Adam McKay for Vice. And then two other guys whose names I'm not even going to try to say because I can't do it. What, can you say the movies? Uh, Cold War and The Favorite. Cold War is a Polish film, I believe. Okay. So this guy, and this guy, I think his name is Paweł Polakowski. Oh, you tried it. I think that sounds good. And the favorite from the guy that directed The Lobster, that's how I refer to him as, so I don't have to say his name. His name is Yorgos Lanthimos. I think, well, I think I that think might work, too. A valiant effort on both fronts. Well, about- I think Yorgos, I think we got to get used to saying that guy's name, because he's, he's got... He's coming at everything out of left field, and it's a lot. Of, it's been exciting watching his stuff. So. What about actor in a leading role? Um, well, I'm gonna later on. I'm gonna talk about Vice in a bit more depth because I watched it this week. So Christian Bale in Vice as Dick Cheney. I think he's probably the favorite just for uh, because it's quite the spectacle. He put on 40 pounds or whatever it was. Uh, Bradley Cooper in A Star Is Born. Willem Dafoe in that Eternity's Gate. Rami Malek in Bohemian Rhapsody. And Viggo Mortensen in Green Book. Probably all good. I haven't seen Willem Dafoe. I haven't seen Rami Malek yet, but you've seen him, and everyone else says he's just fantastic. Yeah, he was amazing. Vigo's great in Green Book, but I th- I was most impressed this year with Bradley Cooper in A Star Wars Born, because that is uh, just a... Uh, he does such a good job in that. Like... He looks like Bradley Cooper, but you don't see Bradley Cooper at all in that movie. Yeah, he really he, that movie stuck with me for days because oh, yeah. his performance was so haunting. He's just such a tragic character and uh, very relatable, I think, in the sense that the decisions he's making aren't really like he's not a bad guy. He's just he's got these demons and he just yeah. can't shake them. Yeah, you could tell from like the beginning, like this is not going to have a good ending. Do you think Lady Gaga's got a shot for le- actress in a leading role? Everyone's saying Glenn Close in The Wife, so I don't know. Uh, the other nominees, Yelitsa Aparicio from Roma, Olivia Coleman from The Favorite, and Melissa McCarthy from Can You Ever Forgive Me, which no one seems to have ever seen. I don't remember it even playing, do you? It's actually playing right now. Is it? Yeah. yeah. It came out, uh, I think it came out a couple of months ago. <laughs> In limited, in limited release. Oh, one of those deals. Yeah, but uh, Melissa McCarthy doing the thing many comedians do, now chasing uh, dramatic roles, and here she is nominated yep. at the Oscars. And and she's been nominated before, but for comedic roles, she was nominated for Bridesmaids, of all things. So. That's right! So, I, I don't... She'll she'll make it up on that stage before she retires at some point, I would imagine. But I think this year, it seems like Glenn Close is winning the Best Actress in a Leading Role 
all over the place. So I would suspect that you'll get the same at the Oscars. All right. We don't have time to go through the entire list. I will say, though, yep. and this is a, a problem that I have every year where the Oscar nominations come out and I've seen like one of them. I've actually seen four. <laughs> nice. A Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, and A Star is Born. Half. Right out the gate. Yeah. So I'm in good shape. Now I got to see, uh, oh, Green Book, the letter B. Yeah. Uh, I think Star I can still born. see a couple of these. Oh, yeah. It's almost all of them. It's five of them, anyways. Five of the eight. <laughs> <laughs> hey, up next, oh, Christian Bale in Vice. Okay, I'm, we're reaching now. <laughs> up next, uh, we're going to tell you what is coming to home video. Uh, Jeff Braun is going to tell you about the documentaries on the worst music fest- festival ever. And I want to tell you about a show on Netflix that I watched over the holidays that is up to 40 million views in its first four weeks. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry, Jeff Braun, we are The Couch Potatoes, and now it is time to take a look at what is new on home video this upcoming Tuesday. It's time to save the kingdom. Everything my mother created. Are you ready? What's that, Jeff Braun? That's the Nutcracker and the Four Realms. And it also sounds like uh, the sound of what's his name there phoning it in. Because <laughs> could you be less impressed or less interested in a read than what he is doing? Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Yeah, this movie from Disney did not do well domestically. No. $54 million domestic. It did make $173 million worldwide. And so that's a couple of bad hits here, or non hits for Disney because they had a wrinkle in time back in March. Uh, and both of these movies I thought would do well. Yeah. Wrinkle in Time only made $100 million domestic, and its world, its foreign take was almost nothing. It's just an extra $32 million, so. Oprah's not a big deal around the world. I guess so. Yeah. yeah. I guess that's why. So what else we got here? Um, also on Digital HD at, Eter- uh, sorry, it's called At Eternity's Gate, starring Willem Dafoe, directed by Julian Schnabel. Uh, Dafoe is nominated for that one. It's about a uh, chapter in Vincent Van Gogh's life. And on Blu-ray, DVD hard copies, you get uh, Hunter Killer, starring Gerard Butler. Hunter Killer! The second best title of the year, for, and also the best title of the year in Suspiria. That's right, that you can run, but you can't hide from Suspiria. There we go. So, uh, yeah, that's home video. And if you like, by all, by all accounts, the new Suspiria isn't bad, but it's not as good as the first one. Yeah, all it's right. just fun to say. Okay, we got a lot of stuff to get through. This week, I watched both of the documentaries on the ill-fated 2017 Fire Festival. We were working around the clock, no sleep. Billy's like, bring more workers. We need more workers. Every single day, guys, more tense. He just would not take no for an answer. And he just kept pulling money in somehow. Desperate people do desperate things. He was lying to investors and making it seem like we were making a ton of money when we weren't. I mean, that's fraud. One of the Fire Festival documents is on Netflix, and it's terrific. The other is on Hulu, which is fine for Americans, but a problem for Canadians, as Hulu is, Hulu is not an option here, but I uh, did manage to see it anyway, enough said. Okay. They're both great, but honestly, the Netflix one, I think, is more fun to watch anyway, so you're good. If you've never heard of the Fire Festival, here's a brief synopsis. This guy, Billy McFarland, who, as it turns out, is just a professional con man type, teamed up with rapper Ja Rule on a talent-booking smartphone app, basically 
you would pick an artist, and through the app, you could make an offer, and they could accept or deny it. Uh, an app for rich folks to book major artists for their birthday parties type of the thing. And Billy was all about living large, even when he didn't actually have the money in the bank. To, so to promote their, this business of theirs, Billy and Ja Rule wanted to put on this music festival in the Bahamas and make it a high-end affair. Private jets to the private island, villas and yachts for the guests, or at the very least, luxury tent experiences, gourmet food, all the booze you could drink, supermodels frolicking on the beach. They got the idea in December and thought they could pull it off by April. And all of it fell through. All of it. But they tried to pull it off anyways, and disaster ensued. Now, for most of us, that's when the fun started. Twitter blew up as all these rich kids started complaining about the conditions. Uh, there's this picture of a sad cheese sandwich and not really a gourmet meal. FEMA disaster relief tents with mattresses on the ground. There wasn't even a beach. And remember, the festival attendees had spent tens of thousands of dollars each to attend. So all of us poor folk were sort of, you know, relishing in the the schadenfreude of it all until it started getting dicey late at night and into the second day where it started like looking like the beginning of the purge or something and the levity kind of gave way to the gravity no one could really leave the island because it is a really small airport and it wasn't equipped with you know a bunch of empty planes sitting there or anything like that eventually everyone did make it home no one was seriously hurt so we can look back at it and laugh Uh, in short it was just bananas and these documentaries do a great job of showing how it came to be the answer is more who didn't have the time or money <laughs> to do things properly, and they were too dumb or bullheaded to realize it. Now, the Netflix one's more entertaining. There are a lot of interviews with the people that worked at the festival site, uh, sort of going, um, you know, we warned them every day. We were like, hey, there's no way we can do this, and they kept saying, no, we're going to do it. Uh, it's also produced in part, though, by the marketing firm that Fire had hired for its online marketing which played a big part in suckering people into buying tickets. So it's it's well done, but they don't really take any of the blame, this marketing company, which they should. Most of the blame goes to Billy McFarland, though. He's one of these uh, shameless hucksters. But you can you, you sort of can't tell if he's... If he's actually mean, like he's ripping people off, but I don't think he's mean. It sort of seems like he seems to think that he can actually pull this stuff off, even though there's just no way. But, I mean, he also doesn't seem to have any idea what the rules are. So he and he's in jail right now as we speak. He's not directly for this, but indirectly for this. He's a fascinating guy. It's a fascinating story. Well worth a watch, the, the Fire Festival doc on Netflix. I just I don't spend enough time watching documentaries, and I should because there are so many, particularly on Netflix, if you love documentaries. Mm-hmm. You, you could watch documentaries forever. Yeah. But instead, I watched a different show. I've been meaning to tell you about something that I watched on Netflix over the holidays. It's a show called You. I'm not a maybe. I'm the one. There are scary people in the world, Beck. I'm on to you. Jealousy got the best of me. How exactly does one get rid of a body? The things you do for love. Are you watching me? Maybe. Uh Uh-uh. Stalker. So, You is based on a novel, debuted on the Lifetime channel in September, and then it started on Netflix in late December playing the music for Dexter. Yeah. I'll explain that connection okay. in a second. Ten episodes, and it has had monster viewership on Netflix. When it was on Lifetime earlier in 2018, its rating ratings averaged like 651,000. Now that it's on Netflix, 
It's been watched by 40 million people in its first four weeks. It stars Penn Badgley, best known for his time on Gossip Girl. In You, he plays Joe Goldberg, his lonely clerk in a bookstore in New York. He meets a girl, and we quickly learn he is a stalker. He's a real creep. He's a bad guy. He narrates the show, so he's talking to you, the viewer, much like Dexter. Interesting show because even though Joe technically is a bad guy, at his core, he seems to be just a hopeless romantic. And he, he does care about people. Like, he cares about the kid who lives next door. And he takes steps to make sure that this kid is taken care of. But he's clearly nuts and goes too far in many aspects of his life. And he needs to be stopped. But I just couldn't help but feel for him. And at times, I was even rooting for him. So, if I were to make a loose comparison, it's like a romantic version of Dexter. Instead of the main character being a serial killer who killed other killers, our protagonist, or maybe in this case he's the antagonist, he's a serial stalker. Dexter also narrated the show and talked to you. The difference there is that Dexter... You're rooting for him because he was taking out the trash, whereas right. this, guy, this guy is the trash. But <laughs> I like the fact that I was conflicted by this. That's just such great writing, very sharp. It felt much like a CW show, but way darker and more mature. Super addictive, so if you haven't heard of you or you haven't checked it out, you've been meaning to check it out, highly recommended. I loved it. It's super fun, and there will be a second season. Up next, we've got reviews of Glass and Vice. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We're talking movies now. We each saw a movie this week. I saw one that's been nominated for eight Academy Awards. It's called Vice. What do you say? I want you to be my VP. The vice presidency is mostly a symbolic job. However, if we were to come to a different understanding, I can handle mundane jobs like overseeing military, energy, foreign policy. I like that. This isn't something that a vice president really does, is it? It is now. Christmas Day. Vice, starring Christian Bale, Amy Adams, Steve Carell, and Sam Rockwell. Directed by Adam McKay, who also directed Anchorman, Talladega Nights, and Step Brothers. But, I mean, he also also directed The Big Short. And Vice has much more in common with The Big Short than it does any of his Will Ferrell movies. This time, instead of focusing on the 2008 financial crisis, he takes a look at the life and times of former U.S. Vice President Dick Cheney, played by Bale. It's a fairly entertaining movie, although they establish early that Cheney is hungry for power, and that's nearly the the only note they play with him, his rise to power, and then how he was the real puppeteer pulling the strings behind the Bush administration. It's mostly interesting, but leaves much to be desired in the emotion department. Of course, it doesn't help that the protagonist doesn't have much heart, almost literally. The funniest parts are his ongoing series of heart attacks where they're walking down the hall and he just stops and is like, oh, yep, yep. Yep, better take me to the hospital. <laughs> Three times it happens. Uh, and then, the, of course, he had a heart transplant, and that story sort of comes in a very unexpected way. Uh, I couldn't even explain it to you yet. Got to see it to believe it. And McKay's storytelling is sort of what saves the movie, I think. If it were just a straightforward, regular movie, it'd be much more dull. But he does some of the tricksy stuff he did in the big short with, you know, different people telling different parts of the story at times and bouncing around in, in the timeline and slam cutting to images associated with the scene. Keeps you on your toes, and nothing really lasts long enough for you to get bored by it. And my favorite Cheney uh, 
episode is in it. Do you remember when he went quail hunting that time and shot his friend by accident? Yeah, by accident. And then the friend ended up the next day holding a press conference to apologize to Cheney. <laughs> Sorry that this has uh, had such a hard toll on you and your family. Now, that's power. When you can shoot a guy in the face and he says he's sorry. That's power. Yeah. That's what Cheney had. Mostly the movie's just out to show how heartless he is, and we all sort of already knew that from what we've heard, so it's not particularly surprising in any place. Uh, the closest it comes to really humanizing him is in his relationship with his daughter Mary, who is a lesbian. As Republicans, they had to campaign against gay marriage to get votes in the South, and Cheney flat out tells W at the outset that he won't do that. So he gets points for that at least for a while. Christian Bale is good in the role, but there's nothing terribly deep in the performance. It's mostly an imitation and, of course, the physical transformation. He added these 40 pounds for the role, and sometimes that sort of thing is enough to win you an Oscar, like we were just talking about before. He's already won a Golden Globe, a few other awards. He may win more in the weeks between now and the Oscars because he's nominated. Honestly, though, I, I didn't really find his performance to be that big a deal. Like we said before, Bradley Cooper gives a much more impressive performance in A Star is Born. Everyone else is good. Amy Adams, also nominated, plays his severe wife, Lynn Cheney, Steve Carell is Donald Rumsfeld. Sam Rockwell is W, also Oscar nominated. All great actors doing their work, but this is not the movie any of these people involved in will be remembered for. Um, if you hate Dick Cheney, it's worth a watch. You'll get laughs out of it and be enraged all over again. Things you're enraged about in real life the first time. But it's one of these movies where if you didn't already know about Dick Cheney, I think it would fall kind of flat. The movie banks on you knowing a lot about him going in, which is probably not the best place to start a movie from, I don't think. Three and a half couch cushions out of five for Vice. This past weekend, M. Night Shyamalan returned to complete his Unbreakable trilogy with Glass. May I meet the beast? I hope for your sake that he likes you. That sounds like the bad guys teaming up. A lot of people are going to die. Don't do this. Are you ready? What do we call you, sir? First name, Mr. Last name. Glass brings together Shyamalan's 2000 film Unbreakable and 2016's Split, which revealed itself at the very end to be a tie-in to Unbreakable. Split was already a cool movie on its own, but that reveal made it way more interesting. James McAvoy is back in his role from Split. Kevin Wendell Crumb, a.k.a. The Horde. The villain, the bad guy who contains the beast. And from Unbreakable, Bruce Willis returns as David Dunn, a man who is unbreakable. And Samuel L. Jackson is back as Elijah Price, a.k.a. the devious genius who fancies himself a supervillain, Mr. Glass. He is the reverse. He is completely breakable. He breaks his bones with zero effort. It's actually really painful just to watch. I remember that from Unbreakable. I was like, oh, I just, yeah, that could, I have a hard time watching that sort of thing. Yeah, and there's one scene in, in this where he's a kid. He's a little kid. He's on a like a tilt a whirl kind of ride. And he falls off. No, but he gets thrown around, and so he's he every time he gets bashed around, he, he shatters a bone here. <laughs> he's just think, oh, poor kid. Yeah. So its opening weekend was forty point three million dollars, almost identical to the opening for Split in January twenty sixteen, which was forty point one million. Unlike Split, which had more good reviews than bad at seventy six percent on Rotten Tomatoes, Glass is on the bad end of that with only a thirty seven percent grade. Unbreakable, by the way, back in two. 
2000 was at 69%. I just I wanted so badly to be on the good side of the the grade for Glass because I've been excited for this since the end of Split, and then the trailers came out and they looked great, but I am underwhelmed. I am disappointed. It's just, I think, a kind of a weird experience overall because it was kind of blah, but it lingered with me for a couple of days. But I think maybe it lingered because I don't really think I still quite know if I liked this movie or didn't like it. So I guess I'm kind of in the middle. On one hand, there is a fair amount to like about this movie. James McAvoy, for example, is once again excellent as someone with 24 personalities inside him. Whether or not the portrayal of someone with disassociative identity disorder is accurate, I think is irrelevant in the context of this film because it's just a comic book movie, whatever. I also thought the movie was rather colorful at times. I, Ooh. I, Although, you know, kind of, I think maybe I'm reaching there. You know you're reaching when you say, a movie was colorful! I like colors, Jeff! Like literally colorful? Yeah, I think there were, there was, I mean, there were some times where it was very dry and flat, but there were other times where it just, the colors were bright. This purple motif come yeah, back. Lots yeah, lots of purple. So I maybe I just like it because I, I love purple as my favorite color. And Sarah, uh, on the downside of this, Bruce Willis oh. wasn't really in it all that much. Really? Samuel L. Jackson wasn't in it as much as I would like, and I was hoping when he was in it that he would really ham it up, or at least get to ham it up as a supervillain, but not really. He wasn't given a whole lot of good stuff to work with. Sarah Paulson's character, the psychologist, just goes on way too long with her, uh, not believing they have these special abilities. She's trying to convince them that they are, they're delusional. And then, of course, there's the twist, because there's always a twist with a shamalami. Yep. I will say... This movie ultimately goes in a completely different direction than what I expected. <gasps> Mel Gibson and the aliens show up? Yes, that's right. <laughs> it's, it's just not your typical superhero movie. So Bruce that's good. I like that. Bruce Willis was dead the whole time? <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, however, the way that it did go, it was just so underwhelming. Oh, really? And disappointing. And I wondered, is this even believable? In Even in the context of this world he's created, it just seemed so meh. So since I'm between liking and disliking Glass, I guess I'll give it two and a half couch cushions out of five. Also to follow up on something from last week, that Netflix comedy Sex Education. Yep. So I'd watched three episodes as of last week, finished it. It's amazing. Really? Debut January 11th. Huge viewership, much like you. It's on track to be watched by 40 million people in its first four weeks. Holy smokes. So uh, highly recommended as well. It's an eight episode British comedy. I love it. And as well, just a heads up that The Punisher season two just came out last weekend, so I'm now working my th- way through that. Uh, four episodes in. Pretty good so far. The first episode was good. Third episode was good. Second and fourth one, kind of slow. So I hopefully that's not the pattern. I'm on season six of Parks and Rec. There's only seven. got to finish it because of everything else is falling behind. Oh, you're <laughs> almost there. Good for you. Up next, we've got reviews of two more movies. One of them came out in December, and one of them came out like 30 years ago. Yeah, December 88. <laughs> You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry, Jeff Braun, we are The Couch Potatoes. In a moment, Jeff's going to give you a review of a film that came out when? I said December 88. I was off by 14 months. It came out October 9th, 1987. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I am curious to hear what he thinks about this film. (laughs) I saw a movie that came out last month. And I'm glad I did, because this is one where I was like, oh, should I go see this? Yes, I should have gone to see it, and you should too. It's called Bumblebee. Let me tell you something. I'll drive, but I'll pick the car. Where did you get that beetle? The car picked the drive. Who are you? 
Music can help you say what you're feeling. Try this. You must protect Earth and its people. We have a common enemy. People on your planet. You got people out there who need you. I've had that song, The Touch by Stan Bush, stuck in my head uh, for like a week and a half since I saw this movie now. Because that's from the the 1986 cartoon, The Transformers, the movie. It's like so. the theme song from that movie? Uh, it's, it's not that they the just theme, used it in it? Yeah. And they used it in this? Yeah. Very briefly in this, but uh, yeah, I love that song. And I love this movie. It's great. It's so much fun. It's the best Transformers movie that there is so far. The Transformers all look better, way closer to the original designs of the cartoon and toys. Optimus Prime finally really looks like Optimus Prime. Huh. They're more streamlined. They're just, they're less complicated. Yeah. You know, they look great. Like the, the Transformers in the previous films, they were very complex. And part of the reason for that was the, they were saying, well, we wanted to, to figure out the actual physics of what would it take to transform right, right, right. a body into a functioning, moving automobile. But <laughs> who cares? Yeah. They're robots from space that turn into cars. You don't need to get that complicated. So the movie is set in the 1980s. It's not necessarily a prequel. Uh, but it, it's a spin-off, but it, uh, yeah, anyway. it, that, that part's kind of confusing. I'll explain that in a minute. The action was slower, too, and I think I remember you, even with the first Transformers, saying it was hard to follow the action. Yeah, well, is that Michael Bay thing where it's just a dizzying mess? And I was like, what in God's name is going on up in that screen? And like you said, it didn't help that the Transformers were so complicated when they were transforming because I spent like half the movie. It's like, am I supposed to be like being able, am I supposed to be able to pay attention to what's going where when they're folding into each other and stuff? Yeah, and yeah I just got a, a headache by the end of the movie. And this one has way more heart. It's set in the 80s and it felt like an 80s movie. Unfortunately, it felt a little too familiar because we've already seen certain elements of this like Bumblebee being clumsy and breaking things as it's getting used to different surroundings. And it's confusing in that it appears to ignore the original timeline of the Transformers movies, and yet it still sticks to some of it, like his wrecked voice box or the Camaro that he eventually becomes. Also, if he can scan a new car and suddenly fix his exterior, why can't he fix his voice box? I just don't get that. Hopefully they don't continue with the main series and they just reboot it from here because the main series added new origin elements every time. They basically rewrote the story every time. And whenever I think about it, it just gets so confusing and I get so angry because I wanted those movies to be so good and Michael Bay has done such a bad job with them. <laughs> this is the Transformers movie I have been waiting for that we've that any Transformers fan has been waiting for. Director Travis Knight, way more capable with this. It wipes off the stink of what has been an increasingly useless franchise. And, you know, like I said, the Optimus we see in this movie is Optimus Prime, who is arguably my favorite childhood hero even ahead of Spider-Man. So... 
Yeah, I love this movie. I'm going to give it four couch cushions out of five. I would say quite violent. Wouldn't recommend it for little, little kids. Right. But other than that, this is great family fun. So check it out, Bumblebee. I bailed after Transformers 2 and have still never seen 3, 4, and what was it, 5? They do yeah. 5 already. So, But I am excited for this one. Uh, it might be a thing where, like uh, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, where uh, I get to see it on an airplane next year or the year after. But I'll definitely, once it comes up for me, I'm watching it. Okay, what's next? Ah, well, the movie I saw this week. Most of you have probably seen it. It's called The Princess Bride. When I was your age, television was called books. And this is a special book. It's got fencing. You are wonderful. You're amazing. Fighting. Inconceivable. I don't think it means what you think it means. Monsters. I don't think they exist. True love. Oh, this is a kissing book. All right, all right. Torture. Where am I? The pit of despair. Revenge. You killed my father. Prepare to die. I'm trying to see some of the movies that I should have seen that I never did see, and I always put off watching this because my little sister liked it. That's strike one. Because <laughs> uh, in 87, I was 11, so when this is on home video, I'm 12, 13, 14 years old. She watched it all the time. The title wasn't particularly interesting to teenage me either. Why would I want to watch a movie about a princess or a bride? Boring. <laughs> but the last few years, I wondered if I should see it, seeing as it remains more popular than ever, and everyone else I know has seen it, and everyone loves it. So I put it on my little little search list every couple of weeks i sort of just type stuff i want to see into the search thing on my cable whatever pops up set the pvr so some channel showed princess bride last week i recorded it and finally watched it it was it was fun it was a little more sort of depraved than i was expecting a lot more talk of murder and killing than i was expecting Uh, it's a pg movie but uh, like bumblebee not for the littlest of kids it's funny though and heartwarming and had memorable unique characters i usually don't care for carrie elwes but i did like him in this robin wright also great a believable love story for uh, the two people that you root for. Obviously, the big draws, the three bad guys, I was sort of shocked. Spoiler, that Wallace Shawn died so early. Uh, and he made an impression, though. Andre the Giant, of course, is a one-of-a-kind human being, not the greatest actor, but no one would hold that against him. I really liked the rhyming scene that ended with him saying, anybody want a peanut? <laughs> and I did find it weird to see Mandy Patinkin A, as a young man, and B, in a thing that's fun. I mostly know him from Homeland, and he's deadly serious all the time on that one. But uh, Nigo Montoya is, you know, the best character in this. He's terrific in the part. Hello! My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die! And apparently he and Elwes really learned how to do some sword fighting for the movie. Anyways, it was good stuff. I can see why it's a classic four out of five coach cushions for The Princess Bride. It's a classic good for you for watching it, Jeff. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Get the podcast anywhere you find podcasts. And remember... If it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.